This episode of Talking Through Traffic is brought to you by Dapper Dan Hair Pomade. Folks, do you have that special lady friend you want to impress down at the barn dance? Or perhaps you're an escaped convict from the chain gang looking to reunite with your wife and family. Well, there's no way to impress that special someone than by putting on some Dapper Dan Hair Pomade and make yourself look like a hundred bucks. Dapper Dan, don't be a sad man. Be a Dapper Dan man. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone. This is episode... Oh, boy. How lost count now? It's, it's either six or seven... I don't know. Um, but thank you for tuning into this new episode of Talking Through Traffic. I am Kevin Schofield. Thank you for listening. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving uh, week and day and uh, uh, some time off, hopefully, to recharge your batteries. Uh, for those of you in the retail industry, I feel your pain. This week was probably uh, more work than relaxation for you. Um, I've talked I talked last week on a special Thanksgiving episode exactly what the holidays mean or meant to me when I was working in uh retail and I know uh it's hard because so many people look forward to the holidays and there's so many things that they enjoy about the holidays but when you work in retail especially in a big box store or maybe somewhere in a mall heavy traffic kind of place um the holidays are uh, less than enjoyable, um, or in the very least, it takes a lot of effort to uh, have more positivity than the negativity of being so busy at work and having to deal with all the things you deal with. Uh, but whoever you are, whatever you are, uh, hope you had a great time. Uh, today's episode is a little late. I meant to post it yesterday. I meant to record it yesterday. Actually, I meant to record it on Sunday and release it yesterday, but uh, Thanksgiving weekend kind of caught up to me. Uh, had a lot of leisure time, and I, uh, I'm i so busy with my job and uh, with, uh, you know, preparing everything to be a father and uh, for the baby to come, uh, that uh, having some time off to just play Xbox and all that is uh, rare, and so I kind of let it uh, get away from me a little bit, and I uh, didn't fit in enough time, and thought I'd fill, fit in enough time yesterday, but uh, had some last-minute sub-sessions at work, so uh, the time I was going to use in the middle of the day uh, between sessions kind of got taken away from me, and by the time I got home from work, I was just, uh, I just wanted to relax and watch some television with my wife and everything and just relax. Um, so I didn't get to it, uh, but, uh, I got to it today. And, uh, so last week I touched on what this week's episode was going to be in that for the first time, I'm going to talk about my job and the field of psychology I actually work in currently, which is behavioral psychology, and behavioral therapy. I talk a lot about mental health and mental health psychology and all that. 
uh, because that's very personal to me. It's, it's something that directly affects me. Um, it's what got me into psychology. It, it's what got me into this realm. Um, before this, before that, I was, uh, you know, if I had a new podcast, it would probably just be about theater, Shakespeare, or uh, being an actor, or writing, or something like that. That was kind of the realm I was in. And then, um, you know, psychology became a passion of mine because of mental health. And I am more of a mental health advocate than an advocate for autism or other behavioral uh, developmental disorders. Um, but that is the realm I work in, though. So, and I, and I don't talk about it much. And I was trying to think why I don't talk about it very much. Um, and I, I think I realized the reason is because I don't feel like I truly know that much more than I did before. Um, and I know that might sound strange, but if I may back up, so when I got the job, I was looking to, and I'm still looking, um, although I had to delay, uh, it for the baby, uh, to go to college, uh, get a master's degree in, uh, psychology and transition to being a, uh, mental health, uh, counselor. Uh, therapist. And, um, you know, I, uh, I was planning on that and everything and I was still working at JCPenney and I figured, you know, I'll work there until I go to school. And then, you know, for the program I was looking at, it was a two year program and the first year you can work, but the second year you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, you're doing a lot of clinicals and stuff like that. So, they really advise you to, you know, not have another job because all the clinicals and things you have to do to complete the program essentially acts as another job. Uh, only it doesn't uh, pay you, uh, which is why they advise, you know, you go on uh, student aid and everything. So that was my plan is, you know, stay at JCPenney until I get into the program. And then once I get in the program, maybe pull back my hours for a little bit and then Eventually, when it's time, quit, focus on school, live off of the uh, financial aid that's uh, supporting me through that. And then uh, once I graduate, um, hopefully can get a job right away in some uh, clinic somewhere, working uh, in some capacity with mental health. And, you know, that would be that. Um and then a friend of mine who was uh, looking to become a speech-language pathologist, she had finished her her bachelor's program and was uh, going into her master's program at San Jose State. Uh, she um, heard of a job opening, and she knew about my path going down, that I was going down and job-wise and in her field of speech-language pathology, they work a lot with children with developmental disorders, speech disorders, um, who also tend to fall in the same realm as behavioral therapists who work with typically the same type of clients, clients with developmental disorders like autism, uh, spectrum disorder, and uh, other things. So she heard about this job, this place, Trumpet Behavioral Health in San Jose, that was hiring for... Uh, uh, registered behavioral technicians, uh, therapists, basically, 
and you didn't need experience. They were going to train you, and they would give you everything you needed, um, and you would work there. And I was kind of unsure, but I was so kind of in a place of why the hell not, you know, because I hated my job. I hated the way everything was changing over there. Uh, The people that were coming in and taking new positions uh, of uh, leadership and all that. And I was just, I was just not enjoying my time there. And I'd kind of reached my final breaking point where I either got to quit or find a new job um, or quit to find a new job. It was just, it was so, it was so draining. And so I went for the interview Found out a little bit about the job. Wasn't sure if it would be a job I would take because I wasn't sure if I would be able to make enough money because it was technically part-time, although they paid a lot more than I was getting paid then. But I figured if I worked part-time at like 20 hours a week um, for, you know, more money... Then I was making a, a full time at JCPenney. It would kind of even out, and in the very least, I'd be making around the same amount of money for a job that I enjoyed. And uh, so I went to the interview, and I told them basically I didn't know much, and they were like, "That's fine." A lot of people come to us from different backgrounds. They discover this field, and then they really go into it. Some are students who are learning this field and others are adults who just switch into this field from another place and get really into it. Um, so, uh, they, I got the job, I decided to take it and, um, you know, went through training and I, it, it was a very tough job. Um, and the training, they didn't cover much of, what autism is or the psychology behind autism or how it works or developmental disorders. And I realize why it's because they are specifically hired to help people with behavioral therapy. And when I say that people kind of don't understand what it means. The basic way I can explain what is behavioral therapy? How is it different from other therapy? Well, Behavioral therapy is a is a way of giving therapy to people who have issues uh, relating to um, their behavior, I guess. And uh, the best example I can give is um, if you know the story of uh, and the guy's the the psychologist's name is blanking on me, but it's the 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 story of the psychologist who would um, I think it's Pavlov Pavlov's dogs. Um, he'd ring the bell, give a dog a treat, and then he would delay the time between ringing the bell and giving the treat to the point to where eventually the dog, over a series of trials, would eventually, just at the sound of the bell being rung, would start salivating because they had associated the food with the sound of the bell. And so you couldn't ring the bell without them, tr- without it triggering in their mind food and thinking of food and being hungry. And that's essentially 
a, a rough, very kind of broad, very, very broad overview of the kind of therapy that I provide. Um, you know, that a lot of these kids, and it is mostly with kids. Uh, it's not strictly laid out to older adults. Uh, we do take older uh, clients or we take clients up into a certain age. I I have not heard, really, since a year plus working there, of us turning down anyone because of a certain age. But because, because it's mostly autism and other behavioral and other developmental disorders, um, they tend to <clears throat> um, really require early intervention, early diagnosis and early intervention, which means, yes, uh, mostly kids, and then basically providing them therapy until they can reach a stable point to where they don't need the same kind of uh, therapy that we provide or, or as, as uh, strenuous a therapy that we provide, or um, just until, you know, they gra- basically graduate to a point to where they will need services of something different. Um, so, um, you know, we work with kids uh, from all over the autism spectrum, and that's the thing that, you know, I realized uh, that kind of annoys me, really, is when you think of autism in the popular imagination, you think of Asperger's specifically. You think of, you know, someone who is very high-functioning, who is a savant, who has almost superhuman levels of abilities with their intelligence, whether it's math or cooking or memory or, you know, something like Rain Man or the the Russell Crowe character from A Beautiful Mind. And that and when someone says autism, you that that's really the main like there's a new show is The Good Doctor. I don't know if it's still on. I don't I don't have cable, so I don't watch a lot of new shows. Um <clears throat> unless they're also playing on Hulu, and even then I really don't have time. But in the trailers I remember seeing a few months ago is he's a savant doctor, he's young, he's very good at what he does, but he has autism, and that was the whole selling point of the show. Um, but that again, that feeds into that that stereotype. And do those kids exist? Yes, they do. They really do. And I've met quite a few of them, and it's really impressive. And I've met some as young as four, that where they've they can memorize your birth date, and um, you know, some kids like you ask them. You know, their thing is the calendar and memorizing the dates in the calendar. And you'll ask them, what day was my birthday this year? And they'll be like, Tuesday. And you look in your calendar to see what day did your birthday fall on. And it was on a Tuesday, you know. Um, some other kids, uh, you know, they they just love science and you know, facts and stuff like that. And so they can tell you all these things that they've learned about earthquakes and natural disasters and space and things like that. And then there are some kids that, you know, are just really good at math. And, you know, they can do a lot of mental math really quickly, very easily. Or math, in the very least, that is way advanced for their age. Um, So those kids do exist. I'm not saying that they don't. Um, But... 
that's not the majority of who I see. The majority of kids I see have trouble with communication. Um, some of them can speak, but in kind of broken sentences, broken grammar, broken sentences. Um, they have trouble. It takes them a, a while to be able to formulate the sentence for what they want. In fact, that's a large portion of what I do is contriving instances and teaching them how to ask for something they want. We call them mans. Um, so how to man for, you know, food, you know, here's how you, you know, if you're hungry, you can ask me for food and, you know, we do things like that and, or a toy that they want or, or, or just communicating something that they don't want to do. You know, I don't want to do that. I, you know, because some of these kids, um, you know, instead of communicating verbally that they don't want to do something or that they're tired or that they, they feel sick or they're just bored and they don't want to do that, that, you know, they engage in problem behaviors, various different things because of where they are developmentally, they'll get into tantruming, yelling, screaming, uh, kicking, uh, throwing, some aggression. Uh, I've been bitten and strangled and, um, you know, I've had, I've had a few kids, uh, mostly older kids, uh, knock me out, not, not completely like pass out, like, but like knock me down for, you know, um, like punch me in the face and knock me down. Um, he kind of runs the gamut, really. Or they'll do things that hurt themselves. Headbanging, uh, hitting their head against the wall or the ground or something like that. And our job as behavioral therapists is to put in different things and different ways of teaching them to which they can associate and almost not memorize, but can understand across multiple situations and stimuli uh, how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to communicate their needs and wants to different people. Um, some kids are uh, fully verbal and can speak in complete sentences and mostly correct grammar and all that. Um, and their problem is more social, is more of the communicating side, is uh, you know slowing down and remembering to if they don't want something or if they want something to communicate it and to do all these things. Other kids, they're not verbal at all. And it's finding a way to teach them how to communicate even though they can't fully speak. And in some cases, those kids will never be able to fully speak. Um, you know, uh, and in psychology, th this is one thing I learned in psychology class rather than at work, is there's, there is such a thing called a critical period where the human mind works in such a way and develops in such a way to where you hit a certain age, you basically stop being able to learn, you know, language and speaking. Uh, not in that you can't learn, like, let's say, another language or something like that. But just if you, if you haven't... Let's put it this way. Good example. If you were raised in the wild... And no one raised you speaking. If you were raised by wolves, and at the age of 15 you were found, 
and someone tried to teach you how to speak, how to use your words, you wouldn't know how to speak. And if you're 15 or, you know, it, I, I forget what exactly the age is, kind of a floating age, but if you hit that critical period in your, in your development, you will not be able to learn how to speak in great detail. There, then now there have been some improvements. You may be able to improve little bits here and there, but on the whole, you know, you kind of lost that it it is just scientifically in you are scientifically incapable of teaching that person speech communication things like that you can teach them not communication but you can teach them how to communicate in other ways as we do uh if they reach that critical period then you teach them how to use other forms of communication and understand how to communicate that way um why does this occur? I, I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, because my job as a registered behavioral technician, that is my full title. I'm li- uh, not licensed. Licensed, that's the other thing I realized. You can be certified or registered uh, or you can be licensed. Now, if someone says they are licensed, whatever it is they are, that means it has to go through the government. There is a governing board that uh, is involved in the government in which allows in order to practice whatever your practice is you need or, or use the title of whatever you want to use you need to go through certain steps to be given a license by the government saying yes we certify that you are you we we license you to use this title of doctor or whatever if you're registered or you're certified that just means there is a governing body that does these things, but there's no law saying to offer these services, you need to be registered by this certain body or whatever. Um, so if someone offers behavioral therapy, they can technically say they're a therapist or, you know, um, a provider of behavioral therapy, but if they're not if they're not registered with a certain board they can have the certification and the test they can't call themselves a registered behavioral technician because you can only do that by getting certified but it's not legal to offer those services but it's not illegal rather to offer those services and not have those things um anyway that's a huge tangent that goes off to a place I don't want to go down but anyway um <clears throat> You know, we, our, our job as a behavioral technician, we work in teams and we have clinicians who are, they have basically a master's degree or more. Um, and they, they are, they understand the psychology way more. They understand the reasoning behind how things operate, why these behaviors occur, the problem behaviors, the, uh, the abilities to speak or not to speak, communication, uh, social climate, how to how they interact, they understand the kind of the psychology behind it, and from that, from their understanding of that, and of a specific client, they can build a program for us to run, and basically that's my job. I'm given the program, I am taught how to run it. I am taught 
how to interact with these kids, how to best, how to best, um, in a, I'm essentially the teacher. I don't make the curriculum. I don't create the, th- I'm basically given a lesson plan and I'm told to run it. And I, I run it as best I can. I interact with these kids and I, I play with them and I create the best atmosphere in which for them to, when I do run these programs, for them to learn and for them to really take it in and for it to be mastered. Um, so when it comes into the nitty gritty of like, why does this happen and what's the science behind it? I kind of can't tell you. And I think that's why I've been so hesitant to talk about it because I really haven't learned that much about autism that I didn't know before, except in just personal experience of meeting different kids with it. Um, I am also licensed. I'm also under the, uh, under HIPAA, which is, it's, it's an acronym for something. Basically it's, uh, privacy and health matters, uh, law in America. It's basically what allows, a doctor to have a doctor client privilege. I basically fall under that same thing. Uh, anyone who provides health services or whatever that's under HIPAA, they can't talk publicly, um, to about anyone's particular thing. So I can't ever use, I can only speak in broad strokes and I can't use a person, the person's name. I can't, I can't mention anything about them really. Um, specifically about anyone in specifically. So when I talk about all this stuff, I'm talking in big generalities, um, and hypotheticals. Um, so, and the, the thing that I, you know, meeting these families, it's, it's amazing. And these kids, they are amazing. They are just, they're very inspiring because, and, it's kind of hard to explain why, because they go from being so stressful and just kind of like one of these, it, it, honestly, it gets really hard. And there are some times where I like, I, I don't want to see a particular kid. <laughs> I, you know, I've gotten to the point with a few kids where I'm like, I don't want to see them again. Take me off the case, assign me to someone else. It just, it's not working. It's too tough. It's, you know, swimming upstream and it's just, it's not working. And that can happen for numerous reasons. It's just a thing that happens. Um, but at the same time, those kids that are very, very difficult who fight you every step of the way, they'll have these moments. And when they learn and when they're sweet and when they play with you and they have a genuine connection, it is so special and so amazing. And, you know, it's one of those, you know, there's no faking with these kids. And it's kind of a thing with kids in general, really. Anyone who works with kids can kind of testify to that. That, you know, these kids, kids in general, just there's no lying about how they feel. <laughs> they don't have that advanced capability to pretend that they're not feeling what they're feeling. They just have to feel it. So when they're genuinely like connecting with you and they, if they love you, if they like you, if they care for you, 
you know it and you know exactly how much and it just hits you like a ton of bricks and you know it's when people get older you're kind of like how do they really feel about me i don't know uh but when it's kids you know right away and when they're sweet and when they just are connecting with you it's the greatest feeling in the world and especially these kids um that i work with um and these families these families are amazing and it is really hard to be the parents um you if you're a parent of one of these kids you need to be educated you need to know what you're dealing with some parents are more educated than others um in terms of okay you you need to work a certain way you can't exactly you know your kid has these certain needs and you know you need to parent a little differently and as a parent to be it's imagining that scenario is it's it's such an undertaking uh but you see these parents every day dealing with it and it's like old hat you know even if they just found out the diagnosis not too long ago they they have such a an under control or at the very least it's like the duck you know underneath the water they're you know straining and straining to to make everything happen and there's all this activity but above water it's just kind of smooth sailing and relaxed and you know and it's just it's inspiring it's uh it's amazing it's an amazing experience um, and my heart goes out to them because also with some of these kids, they can eventually get to the point to where, you know, they'll be able to be functional and independent and live on their own and live apart from mom and dad and the family and have their own place, have a job. And then other kids that are on the other end of the spectrum who are not as independent and are not as in, uh, functional or, uh, fully functional as, the kids on the other end of the spectrum, they'll probably end up living in group homes and needing help their entire lives. Help to, you know, do basic things. You know, get dressed, take a shower, uh, eat. Um, there are certain levels of independence we need to get them to, but then there are certain levels of independence they will never get to. And to know that about your child... I can only imagine is the toughest thing in the world, you know, because you, you imagine, you know, them becoming an adult and you as an older person being able to talk to them about life and about what they have experienced in their life and, you know, having got to where you are or where you were and all that you know, what is that? And to have that communication and that, but to know that, you know, sometimes you have someone who it's, it's a four-year-old in a 16-year-old body. And that's kind of how it's always going to be. It's, it's tough and it's heartbreaking. Um, So it's, it, it's a double-edged sword, this world that I work in. And it's, incredibly rewarding it's also the most stressful and taxing thing i've ever done um and i'm so glad i do it um i don't know if i'm gonna be doing it full uh, for the rest of my life um i've really fallen in love with it but 
there are some things where I'm like, I'd kind of want to work with adults at this point. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's something really special about this job, especially when you meet new kids and you connect with them. It's one of these, you know, where I'm like, I can't wait until part of me is like, I can't wait until I get into the field. I'm that's personal to me and mental health and to work with other adults and young people, uh, young, young adults and older adults and work with these things that affected me and help them. But at the same time, I'll feel like at the same time that I feel that I'll feel, but I still want to see these kids every day, every week, you know? Um, so it's hard. I don't know what the future lies for me, but this this is the world I work in. Um, and uh, I want to thank you all for letting me share. And uh, I talked more than I thought I really would be able to talk about it. Um, so I hope you found it informative or enlightening or entertaining in the very least. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Um, otherwise, um, you have a good day. Good afternoon, good night, and good mental health.